Welcome to the Aquas Podcast, conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello, Shannon. Welcome back to the Aquas Podcast. How is the 2021 version of Shannon Eastman? Uh, grand and happy. Um, a little bit um, discombobulated. Um, optimistic. Good. Glad to hear you? it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I had, uh, actually, I'm going to tell you this funny story at my expense. So um, the hair salons are all closed and um, I've been seeing this wonderful chap um, at this great hair salon in Rathmines called Vanilla over on Winfield Road. His name is Jerry. He's God reincarnated as one of the world's best um, hairstylists. Um, but I can't access him at the moment. So I decided I would bite the bullet and I would buy a box from Boots and I would color my own hair. Um, are you familiar with the color uh, Brassy Pumpkin Orange? I, uh, I can't say that I am, what I can imagine. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, I got my usual color, which is like a dirty blonde. And um, I remember uh, when I was washing the color out of my hair, I thought, Jesus, that water's very orange. And <laughs> I thought, nah, it's okay. I've never seen the color as you're lying back in the chair with your head in the sink. So I thought, nah, that's probably normal. Well, no, it's not. So I uh, wandered over to the mirror. <laughs> um, it was an experience. So 17 washes later, a bit of baking soda, a bit of vinegar, a bit of coconut oil. And uh, I finally had to come to peace with the fact that um, I would be 14 days brassy pumpkin orange, mm -hmm. and I would figure out what to do to correct it in week three. So um, that that was one of my lockdown shenanigans. Uh, it sounds like quite a punky kind of a hair color. Did you have to put on your Doc Martens and your studded collar? Uh, actually, what I ended up doing, Vanity, thy name is woman. What I ended up doing was um, digging out all my hats and my scarves. And I uh, literally walked about uh, Rathmines, Dublin 6, um, head completely covered for 14 days. It's not as noticeable now, but in certain light, you'd almost want to squint if you got a reflection of it. Wow. So, another, yeah. another lockdown lo war story. <laughs> um, I won't be doing that again. I'm just going to wait it out. We wait might for... have to wait until March. Wait for Jerry, the hairdresser. Jerry, oh, Jerry, I love you. Um, it's January 15th right now, I think. Mm -hmm. I might have two and a half months before I get to see that lovely chap again. Um, but I will not be doing another box. Is Jerry part anyway. hairstylist, part therapist? That seems to be... You know, <laughs> no, you know, Jerry is hairstylist and comedian. He's uh, from Brazil. He has one of the... So do you know Graham Norton? Yes. The Irish... Uh, yeah. So Jerry is Brazilian, Graham Norton. Oh. And uh, he's so funny and adorable and amazing with hair. So um, he's worth the wait. I won't, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of my foibles from lockdown. I actually only have that one. Right. So maybe I'm lucky. Well, our theme for this chat is diversity and inclusion. And I wonder, I'm going to make a stretch here, but I'm not especially wedded to my barber. You know, I, I, I'm, I can go to any barber shop and not, you know, I wouldn't be that concerned. Uh, whereas I know my wife 
she had a, a very uh, good hairdresser that she was very attached to and followed him as he moved from hair salon to hair salon. Um, so there seems to be uh, more of a relationship between a, a woman and her stylist, hairstylist uh, than a oh, man. Oh, Danny, sacred. Sacred, yes. Sacred, yeah. It's but sacred. he was—he seemed to be kind of a therapist and and, and hairstylist, or a, you know, there's it, it wasn't just about the hair. There was a, the whole experience. No. It's the, yeah, it's the experience. The experience, right? Well, maybe I need a different barber then. Get the full experience. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm missing missing out. So diversity and inclusion um, is the topic. We're kind of—I know we, I have. A, we have another podcast lined up with it's a series. Uh, There's a D, this is a uh, one of a DNI series um, that I'm really looking forward to. Talk to I me think. about diversity and inclusion. So when you when you think diversity and inclusion, particularly we're looking at the financial services industry, what does that mean, or what do you think that means? Well, first of all, I am not a diversity and inclusion expert, advisor, consultant. I'm, I work in the industry, so I'm uh, aware of it. Uh, I work with clients who are DNI advisors and experts. Um, and I have my own uh, experience of human behavior and diversity and inclusion um, that I'm pulling from. But it, my interpretation, ask me the question again, Danny, because I don't want to go off on a tangent and this topic I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess when, when when you hear uh, the words diversity and inclusion, and it's in relation to financial services firms, what does it mean to you? Does it, uh, what do you take it as being, what are the reasons that firms uh, engage in diversity and inclusion and, and take on the consultants that you mentioned? So um, those are a lot of questions. I'm gonna start with this one. Diversity and inclusion is the ability to access various diverse skill sets, perceptions, experience, and ideas on a common subject matter that provides a more complete 360 degree perspective uh, of that particular situation. Uh, it is the opposite of an echo chamber. It is the opposite of groupthink. So if we were to have a, a subject matter in the shape of a blue box sat on the boardroom table, and you had eight people from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, guess where I'm from, um, who all went to the same school, who grew up in the same neighborhood, who now are sitting around that table discussing this blue box, we would have a very um, polarized opinion, experience, and set of ideas that we would all share about said blue box. But the moment you bring someone from Lebanon, the UK, Germany, um, and let's go with Denmark, uh, we'll include Ireland as well. Now, when we're having conversations about that blue box, we're discovering other people's experiences that we have no idea even existed. Other people's insights and ideas about leveraging, expanding, unpacking that blue box that adds value to the final outcome of blue box. So the, so, so the, yeah, so the purpose of diversity and inclusion is to get these different views to come to, ideally, to, to engage in better conversations and decision-making and come to a better conclusion, or a more rounded conclusion than if we were all from Alberta Calgary. Calgary I would look Alberta. at it 
that's let's let's change the blue box to a blue circle it's a sphere that's propped up on that table when you have and i'll use diversity and then i'll separately address my two cents on a, on inclusion when you've got that blue sphere sat on your boardroom table all the people from calgary alberta canada get to see um like an, a, a sector an arc the let's go with 40 degrees if you can imagine this as a, <laughs> as a mathematical equation, there's a, a 40 degree segment of that blue sphere that we all share, talk about, probably love. Um, and therefore we only get to experience an outcome of that blue sphere strictly from that 40 degree angle. Now, once you bring in Germany, Ireland, Denmark, Lebanon, Dubai, and the UK, they get to reveal more and more degrees of that blue sphere that we're oblivious to. That's diversity. And the value, in my opinion, it's one value um, that you get from having a diverse group of people around the table to expand your perspective and shift your awareness of what's possible from that blue sphere over the long run for the business. Inclusion is creating the time and space at that boardroom table to fully hear, explore, and question Lebanon's view of the sphere. Because we're hearing it for the first time. It's a very different experience of that blue sphere from Calgary. So inclusion is letting all the other people around the table who have a different experience than Calgary to expand and extrapolate on that and be heard in a way that is meaningful to creating outcomes for that blue sphere in the business. So there's no point in having diverse views around the table or, or people from diverse backgrounds around the table if you won't include them in the conversation. Yeah. So when we, we think about diversity and inclusion in financial services firms, what, what's your perception of how it is presented to financial services firms as being, you know, why should they do it or why is it important? Well, I've done, um, I've done some anecdotal research in preparation for this podcast where I called uh, 13 different professionals in the Irish financial services industry and said, you know, completely confidential, diversity and inclusion. And here was my question. Why do you believe there is still resistance to diversity and inclusion in the financial services firms today? That was the question for everybody. And the feedback that I got, and I've just opened it up here, um, it is deeply feminist, it is prejudicial, it is being forced on us without understanding the commercial value that it brings to the business. Um, we operate in an old boys world, old boys club, um, and therefore it's very difficult to break in. There is an expectation and a judgment when you try and buck a trend. So now sharing your opinion that is unique to Lebanon or Dubai is seen as bucking trends. And um, I could go on, but it's not um, encouraging the perspective that the industry has on the DNI conversation right now, um, because I think we're missing a communication around the commercial value of DNI in your firm. So I perceive. Sorry, if I could summarize, then firms are resistant 
to DNI. Now, and I use the term loosely, but but don't necessarily run embracing it or aren't um, on a high speed track for DNI because they don't think it's broken and they uh, don't see the value in it and feel it's a bit of a, a fad. Uh, yeah, there's, um, I think there's a, a void that wants to be filled in the DNI landscape, which is unearthing the core commercial value of DNI in your organization that I'm not hearing and I'm not seeing. And take that with a pinch of salt, please, because by no means am I um, operating full tilt in the DNI space, but from the very anecdotal um, conversations that I've had up until now, there's a perception that DNI is a box ticking exercise so that I can keep the central bank happy. And I'm a little bit resentful of it because I'm still not seeing the true value that it's bringing to my organization. And is there, tell me about the human behavior uh, aspect to asking a question of people who are in the position of privilege. So for example, if somebody asks me about racism, my perception of racism in Ireland could be very different than if I were from Nigeria now living in Ireland. And I think you're asking the wrong person when you ask me about racism because I'm white, I'm male, I'm middle-aged, I'm a professional, no I'm ed educated. No. Everything is stacked in my favor. I nearly have to go out of my way to, to not succeed. Um, so, so asking me that question, you're, you're kind of asking the wrong person, surely. So if you're asking the people around the board table about their perception of DNI when they are white, male, middle-aged, professional professionals or, or college educated, et cetera, et cetera. Are you asking the wrong people? Well, <clears throat> or, or what's the human behavior aspect to asking the person in the position of privilege about others? I think, um, I, I think the, the race and the class uh, conversation is part of the DNI narrative. Um, I, I think I'd go back to the earlier um, analogy that I presented as, you know, you've got a boardroom table surrounded by every, everyone is from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, same age, same neighborhood, same school, same experiences. We all went to the Calgary Stampede in July and wore our cowboy boots and our cowboy hats and we yeehawed with the best of them. And we're examining a blue sphere through our Calgary filter and life experiences so that we can only produce Calgary flavored ideas and outcomes. But when we have, um, Nigeria sat at the table, there's an opportunity for us to gain more perspective and expand our awareness on that blue sphere on the boardroom table by understanding another person's experience, skills, failures. Well, we tried this five years ago and that didn't work. Here's what we learned from that. Um, so it's it, race and gender, that's a common narrative in the DNI, is, is one piece of it. From a human behavior perspective, we fear what we don't understand. If we don't know it, we don't understand it, we fear it. Um, humans don't necessarily like uncertainty. And when you bring a mix of United Nations around the table, there's an uncertainty as well, does your experience matter as much to this particular problem here in Ireland? Um, if that's what happened over in Denmark, I'm not sure that's gonna be valuable here in Ireland. Um, and so there's a, 
we're almost predisposed to being on our back foot for the most part. Um, and then when you add, let's say, females around the boardroom table, um, is there, uh, are they viewed um, for the most part as having uh, meaningful contribution and value and insight that we need to listen to and prioritize? Or have we gone through a box ticking exercise to make sure we've got women on our staff so that we can become compliant and therefore when we engage them in our boardroom meetings, it's almost under the guise of, well, you're here because we have to, not necessarily you're here because there's an insight and, a, and an experience and a skill set that we deeply value. So uh, unconscious bias, everyone from Calgary, and actually I'll give you a different analogy if I may. You have um, uh, uh, an entrepreneur and a business and a, and a mom walking through Grafton Street. The entrepreneur is going to see event space. They're going to see the front cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. They're going to see everything on Grafton Street that supports their view and their vision of being an entrepreneur or a business owner. The mom, for example, is going to see children's clothes and um, stuff for her kids and that Disney shop and um, things that are meaningful and important to her. So I'm using a very basic analogy here to show how we filter our world based on our experience and our, what's important to us. If you were to take that into a professional um, context, the person from Calgary and the person from Lebanon are going to have experience of that blue sphere from different parts of the world, different angles, different roles, different job descriptions, different KPIs that when shared enrich both parties around the table because what the person saw in Lebanon is going to be unique to their culture, their environment, and their business objectives versus Calgary. So sharing those insights and perspectives and challenging and creating friction, and we're talking about professional friction here, teases out more meaningful outcomes that get to be applied to that blue sphere on the table. When, so I, go on. Sorry, I was going to say, so, so if I am, um an executive sitting around the table in a financial services firm and we're engaging in a discussion on diversity and inclusion. Uh, firstly, uh, I look around the table, I look at the business and, and the history of the business. I see that the business is going well. We don't have evidence of failure that tells me we're doing a bad job. So therefore, if it ain't broke, why do we need to fix it? I don't see the value in DNI because nobody's ever told me there's a value in DNI. Um, except the central bank needs you to tick those boxes. Oh, except the central bank has told me it's important, but they, ha but I don't really understand why it's important. So uh, I'm trying to now guess why I might think DNI is important. So what, what, what would I tend to get told by, uh, let's say, advisors or DNI professionals about why DNI is important? And then I want to talk about why the what the central bank's view is on why DNI is important. Well, I think, um, uh, so I've done, I've had a look um, to bring it top of mind for me into this, this conversation that we're now having. There's um, uh, the millennial conversation. If you want to hire millennials, they're going to really value your people and culture policies and, and experience. Um, so that's one. The other one is uh, your clients uh, are going to value it more so because of the reputation that you maintain. Um, there's definitely conversations around performance 
there is evidence that a diverse and inclusive organization performs 18 to 26% better year over year because they have access to different skills and ways of creating value in the organization. And then there's another uh, narrative, which is um, we want to create a level playing field for the kids that come out of Tala and, and Finglas and, and Falls Bridge. Like, let's level that playing field, which I, I've taken that idea away for a few days and was looking at it from all sorts of different perspectives. And it, it doesn't land. It's the opposite of nature. Darwin, evolution, survival of the fittest. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel um, like a narrative that is going to open up the true value, commercial value I'm talking about, of, main, of embracing and maintaining a DNI policy in your organization. Um, so whilst we like to use language that says we're inclusive of all nations and all colors and all races, I can see how that appeals morally and ethically, but I think DNI offers so much more value when it's understood and embraced from the idea that when your kids go off traveling for a couple of years and they come back, they're really well-rounded kids for the most part. Travel is one of the most extraordinary experiences that we can get to grow our ideas and our impressions of the world. The equivalent applies to a diverse and inclusive culture it's, it's kind of like sending your kid off traveling for a few years. They come back and they're more well-rounded. DNI and the organization in a financial services firm gives you access to a more well-rounded, more substantial, um, more evolved way of doing business. If it's not broke, don't fix it. First of all, uh, no. <laughs> if it's not broke, don't fix it. No. Absolutely not. The only constant that we have, isn't it, death and taxes? Well, I'd say we have a third one, which is death, taxes, and change. Mm. Innovate, elevate, grow, transform. That is a, another constant that sits up there with death and taxes. So you have something that's maintaining your status quo. Really, is that good enough? Is, is just, you know, middle of the road good enough? It's certainly safe. It feels safe and it feels good. I do understand that. But where's the being better? Where's the incremental advantages year over year in your business? I think this decade, 2020, 2030, is going to challenge the very fabric and core of maintaining a status quo as you've got so much more opportunity for people to come in and challenge your business. Technology alone has made that so much easier today than it was 10 and 15 years ago. So, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's not, that's not uh, a comment that represents a leader who's committed to growth and innovation. That represents a firm who's probably more institutionalized, um, likes to play it safe. And if we just look at what Darwin had to say about that, that's probably not a successful long game to be playing because people are gonna come in and challenge it. And if you're so not prepared, not prepared. Uh, and in the next podcast, I think we are going to focus on the value of DNI and try and try and extract and understand uh, that better. So Dissect that it. I want yeah. to cut it open. I want to see what it's been feeding on, and I want to maybe change its diet and give it something different 
uh, to fuel it and inspire it and grow it because we're it, it's so valuable it's so valuable but I want um, I want to explore the the core narrative that lights up an organization commercially so that they can see the bottom right corner of that year-end spreadsheet going up because that's really what DNI offers well, and we're going to pick that up in, in the next podcast, and I'm going to wrap up in a moment. I want to talk about the central bank's perspective and DNI. But before I do, just just to to expand a little bit on the piece about kind of the social benefits of DNI, the idea of leveling up and 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 giving opportunities to uh, people from areas that wouldn't typically have these opportunities versus what happens in practice and how it resonates with a firm. And, and you mentioned Darwin. So how does that play out then? Like, I mean, you, you can see the, the, the um, moral and the, 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 you know, the advantages and the, the nice to have of the social leveling up, but is that something that's realistic in practice for firms uh, to do? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There is, there's, um, I think the first step is um, a language that resonates with the firm to shift their perspective on what's possible. Um, once we shift their perspective on what's possible for their firm commercially, and I'm, I'm talking more about the organization and the benefits commercially to the organization as opposed to the individuals within the organization. But when we shift the, the, perspective in the narrative on the commercial value of DNI. We get to play into the value system of the directors and the leaders of these firms because they're absolutely invested in commercial performance. So when we can explore the commercial performance and value of DNI for that firm in a way that is meaningful to them, that is practical and realistic for them, yes, then we can start moving from educating to organizing the plan um, and then implementing it. But as long as we are perceiving DNI as a box ticking exercise, um, as something that we're doing because there's a gun to our head, we're blind to the true value that DNI unlocks in our organization. And we may even become resentful of it and allocate the junior in the office to look after it because you know, we don't want to spend, invest a lot of money in it. Well, you can be absolutely guaranteed that if uh, a firm believes DNI to be a box ticking exercise, it won't be embedded in the culture of the firm. It won't be something that leaders view as important. And if they don't view it as important, you can be certain that that will make its way down to down the, the chain to, to people at all levels to understand that it's not important to the firm. And when something else comes along, um, then that'll be the fad and that'll be the focus and DNI will be long forgotten about. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, so to wrap up then in terms of the central bank's perception of DNI or, or why the central bank thinks that DNI is important. Now, I guess going back, I'm the executive in the firm. Central bank is banging on about it. Uh, I don't think it's important because guess what? We haven't evidence of failure. We're doing fine, even though we're all white men around the table from the same background. Uh, but I'm going to do it because I think the central bank must be on about equality and about kind of social justice and leveling up. Uh, but that's not what the central bank perceives the benefit. Certainly, it's, it's not that it doesn't perceive that as a benefit, but it's not why the central bank promotes and expects and requires DNI. 
Why? Well, the, so if you if we go back to the the banking crisis in Ireland and the Honhan report on the back of that, which explored particularly the central bank's failings in the run up to the crisis, but also what happened within firms, it identifies the lack of challenge and the lack of constructive challenge and the presence of groupthink as being major failings that allowed banks and their supervising authority, the central bank, to sleepwalk effectively into the banking crisis because they they didn't challenge whether their assumptions about uh, property price and property growth and, and soft landings and all of that risks. They didn't challenge assumptions and risks because um, of groupthink. They all thought it would go the same way. Um, and of course, that proved not to be the case. And so the reason why Central Bank promotes DNI um, is because they feel that or understand that it is important that there is proper uh, challenge around the table, a diversity of views to bring other perspectives so that when you make important decisions, you're doing it with uh, input from uh, a number of different perspectives and not just one, so that you're not engaged in groupthink, that there isn't that unconscious bias and that people are having difficult conversations and asking tough questions and making better decisions. So from the regulator's perspective, I think that's why they push d &I. It's not because, in my opinion, it's not because they uh, are concerned about gender equality, especially, or they're concerned about social equality. It's because they want regulated financial institutions to make better decisions, to challenge themselves more, to avoid groupthink and avoid unconscious bias. And one way to do that is to have more different opinions and backgrounds around the table making those decisions. So that flies in the face of, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, status quo. Does it not? Well, it, it does. You will have existing firms with existing, let's say, all-male boards or whatever it is, will say, well, we do challenge and we are good. We don't, you know, we haven't failed in the past, so we must be doing a good job. Um, and I guess it's true to a point, but it's not the same as having you know, the blue sphere uh, analyzed by people from Lebanon and Canada and Nigeria and wherever else. Um, and so they may not perceive it as being broken, but maybe it's not as good as it could be. Maybe there is unconscious bias there. Maybe there is unconscious groupthink there. And so, uh, and the regulator has identified DNI as being a way to tackle this because it's incredibly important that we don't have these weaknesses that lead us to make poor decisions that lead us into the next crisis. So uh, challenging um, how we come to conclusions, decision-making, um, and the ideal outcome for that blue sphere we're discussing at the boardroom table is innovating and growing and evolving the organization. There is um, a value in having more than just Calgary's opinion at the table, believe it or not. <laughs> there is a, a commercial value in expanding one's horizons, um, challenging how you've always done things, because isn't it a given that there's always a better way? Always. Well, in a competitive world, which this is, there will be somebody out there who's either going to do what you do better or do what you do differently. So there's always competition. 
and always people looking to do it differently and better. And if you're a, a small group from Calgary, how much more valuable is it for you to take on uh, someone on your team who is um, complementary opposite to the Calgary perspective of the world? There's, there's so much, oh, it's an infinite, uh, I, I don't wanna get philosophical here, but Emerson says it best. Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson says, the facts with which you have just realized, embraced and are now using are merely the beginning of a set of infinite facts that you've yet to discover. Concentric circles. It is infinite, our ability to expand, evolve and grow and having input that is different to yours, but ideally complements it, even if it is challenging, complement doesn't mean friction free, is one way of sharpening your sword against the Denmark stone. And that's valuable. That is valuable. Um, it doesn't require that we provide or present a level playing field. Um, I have a, a lot to say about that. As someone who comes from a, a Tala type neighborhood myself, um, there is no level playing field for kids like me. I earned it. And that friction that I experienced in my lifetime to get to the position I'm in has been deeply enriching. I wouldn't want anyone to hand me anything. Earning it has given me more wisdom than somebody cutting me a check or giving me access to a, a scholarship. So there is a, a narrative here. There's a, it's not narrative. There's a conversation to be had about the commercial value of opening up your boardroom table to complementary perspectives that challenge yours in a way that you all seek an outcome that leverages each other's skill sets and ideas. Well, let's wrap it up there because I think that's the right point to do so. Uh, in the next podcast, we are going to explore in some detail and unpack and understand value in diversity and inclusion. I think we'll also chat a little bit more about the, the idea of a, a level playing field. Um, it's the opposite of nature. Well, that's what and, I want to, uh, that's what I want to challenge. the opposite of nature is impossible. So unless we're going to eliminate 13.8 billion years of history and Darwin's genius um, and evolution and survival of the fittest, we can't be playing into that narrative and expect it to be sustainable and profitable. That's the key. We right. can, but is it sustainable and profitable? I'm not sure that it is. Well, hold that thought for the next, okay. <laughs> uh, the next in the series on DNI. So uh, in that episode that we, we talk about um, the, the leveling up idea and, and opposite of nature and the value of DNI. Key takeaways from this one, Shannon, I guess uh, in terms of regulated firms, um, it's to understand maybe that the reason why DNI is important from the regulator's perspective is about avoiding unconscious bias, avoiding groupthink, and ensuring that there is proper challenge and diverse opinions around the table to help better decision making, to help avoid the next crisis, whatever uh, nature or form that might take. It's not necessarily about promoting equal rights. It's not necessarily about promoting social justice. There is value in DNI, um, but if you just view it as a box ticking exercise, it's going nowhere. Well, you're, you're missing out. If you, if you view it as a box ticking exercise, 
I think that you're missing out on so much commercial advantage, but it's not your fault either because I, I think we're not, I'm not sure we're doing the DNI sale justice. Uh, is that controversial to say? Probably. And yet we are. I've seen some, ex I need to say this to balance that out. I have seen some uh, authentic, critical thinking, powerful points of view on the subject matter that, you know what, I've just had an idea that we should invite onto this series and explore and unpack so that by the end of it, we get to not just a set of benefits from embracing DNI inside the fabric of your organization, but how, how it's being done. Okay. Well, I, I certainly think if you, if you, if you don't see, or you don't, you haven't had articulated to you the value, then why would you think, and, and you perceive your business to be well run, uh, even if there isn't uh, obvious diversity at, uh, throughout the business, particularly at senior levels, uh, then why would you, why would you believe in and engage in uh, a DNI uh, initiative? So let's wrap it up there, Shannon. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate that and, and your, your insights and your views, controversial and otherwise. And uh, <laughs> we will pick it up again in the next Sunday series on DNI. Uh, around value and level level playing fields. So thanks again, Sean. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Cheers, Danny. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Equest podcast with me, Danny Lawler from Equest. If you're new to the Equest podcast, do hit the subscribe button on your preferred platform for podcasts. And also make sure to hit the like button if you like the episode, help spread the word and get it out to more people. For this episode, the first of 2021, we're doing a short series on the topic of diversity and inclusion. And I'm joined by one of my regular contributors, Shannon Eastman from Teacher Brand to Fish. So for this piece of the series on DNI, we're interested in perceptions on DNI. So what is it that firms in the financial services industry perceive about DNI? What do executives in those firms perceive about DNI? What about DNI? Um, advisors and, and agencies that provide DNI services. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Equest podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Equest podcast, do hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform provider. And if you like the podcast, do make sure to hit the like button so that this wonderful podcast is shared with the world and brings in more listeners. So it's January 2021, and this is our first episode of the new year. We're back in lockdown, back in homeschooling, but my kids have just arrived into the office with some homemade biscuits and a cup of tea. So it's not all bad. In this episode, I'm joined by my regular contributor, Shannon Eastman from Teach a Brand to Fish. So do check out Shannon and all the great work she does over there. And we're chatting about diversity and inclusion, DNI. So we're going to do a short series of podcasts on DNI. And in this episode, we're particularly focused on perceptions of DNI. So how do financial services firms perceive DNI? What about executives in financial services firms, DNI advisors, and of course the central bank? What's their perception of DNI? Why do they think it's important? Some very interesting discussions here, even get down into the philosophies of it. Um, but it's important because as this agenda gets promoted and pushed by the central bank, if firms don't perceive there to be any value in it and perceive it to be a box ticking exercise, then guess what? 
not really going anywhere, certainly not going to be embedded in what firms believe to be important. So in this episode, as I said, we're going to chat perceptions of DNI and hand over now to myself and Shannon. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Equest podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Equest podcast, do hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast provider. And also make sure to smash the like button if you like the podcast so we can get the message out to as many people as possible. This is the first podcast of 2021. And guess what? We're back in lockdown, back to homeschooling. But my kids have just arrived into the office with a cup of hot tea and some freshly baked homemade biscuits. So it's not all bad. For this episode, I'm joined by my regular contributor, Shannon Eastman from Teacher Brand to Fish. So do check out Shannon and all the great work that she does over teacherbrandtofish.com. The topic for this podcast is diversity and inclusion, and we're going to do a short series on DNI to start the year. For this episode, we're particularly interested in perceptions of DNI. So how do financial fir- services firms perceive DNI? Do they think it's important? What about executives in, in financial services firms, DNI advisors? and the Central Bank of Ireland. So what are all these perceptions? Where do they lead us? Do firms think there's any value in this? And if they don't, they think it's a box ticking exercise. Is it really going to go anywhere? Is it actually going to be embedded in firms as something that they think is important into the future? Perceptions of DNI. So is what we're chatting about in this episode. In the next episode, we're going to then delve into the value of DNI so that firms can kind of assess in more real terms, what it is that uh, the good side and the outputs of DNI are. But for this, it's about perceptions. So, on with the show. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.